Well, welcome everybody. Great to have uh, so many mothers with us this morning. Welcome to those of you who are inside. Welcome to those who are watching online and welcome to the folks that are outside. I think uh, we might be able to see. Hello, got a good crowd out there enjoying the nice weather. Good to see. I'm a little jealous, but uh, I've got these beautiful people with me. So uh, there you go. Hey, let me ask you guys a question, whether you're inside, online, or outside. Have there been times in your life where you feel like you're just waiting for God to show up? Like, like you're sitting around and you're just desperate and you're just waiting. God, will you show up? I think we can probably all say yes to that. And one of my questions is, what do you do while you wait? What do you do while you wait? And how do you feel while you're waiting for God to show up? I, I want to examine those questions this morning because it's been kind of heavy on my heart as of late. Um, since we celebrated Easter and the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been taking some time to look at Luke's account of the resurrection and specifically of these encounters that um, Jesus' disciples had with the resurrected Jesus on the day of his resurrection, so on that Sunday. And um, we've seen that they were full of fear and they were full of um, disbelief. They couldn't believe that he actually had risen from the grave, even though they saw him. And they couldn't understand why he had to die in the first place and rise from the grave. They, they just couldn't get it. And then Jesus spent time with them. What we see in Luke is just that first day, and then he skips ahead 40 days until the ascension of Jesus, when Jesus goes back to heaven. Now, Matthew, Mark, and John, they give other accounts of what was happening during those 40 days, during these encounters that Jesus had with his disciples. So I would encourage you, go and read some of those, and you'll get a fuller understanding of what happened those 40 days. But one of the things that has been really on my mind is this. So if, if Jesus rose from the dead and then he, he walked among the people for 40 days, then he ascended into heaven, but he didn't send his spirit for 10 more days. What happened in those 10 days while they were waiting for God to show up? What happened? What did they do and what were they feeling those 10 days while they waited for God the Holy Spirit to show up? And so I want to look at that with you this morning. So we're going to finish up on Luke. Again, we're going to see that he jumps ahead some 40 days. Then we're going to pick up in Acts. So this is um, the story of the beginning of the church. And Luke happens to write Acts as well. So um, we're going to see that. Where we pick up from is last time we, uh, we discovered that Jesus had left them and or he, he was telling them that he's going to leave them. And he leaves them with really a command and a promise. And he said, stay in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, from power from on high. What he was alluding to is the receiving of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit would come down from heaven and dwell within them and make his power present in their lives. Now, this all occurred as, as Jesus miraculously appeared behind locked doors. If you know the story, if you were with us last week, all of a sudden the, the, the disciples are all huddled up. They're afraid for fear of the Jews that they're going to be next. And, and uh, they got the doors locked and then poof, Jesus appears right there. We don't know how he did it. He just did it. And then he, 
he began to unlock their minds, unlock the door to their minds so that they could understand all that the, the scripture from the Old Testament, how it was pointing to Jesus. Primarily the first five books of the Bible and then the prophets and the Psalms. And he began to unlock the door of their minds so that they could begin to understand. And he unlocked that door so they could believe in what they were seeing, that he was in fact risen from the dead. So that's where we're going to pick up. It's, it's Luke chapter 24, looking at verses 50 through 53. If you've got a church Bible, if you want to follow along, it's page 1048. And we're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning. So we're going to begin at the end of Luke, and then we're going to cover pretty much the first chapter of Acts. So um, hang on. Here we go. So beginning in verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven, taken up into heaven. When, then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, here's where we get our first glimpse into what they did and how they felt during those 10 days while they waited for God, the Holy Spirit, to show up. And we see that they worshiped. One of the things that they did was they worshiped. And we see that they did it with great joy, with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple praising God. So we're getting a little glimpse in what, what they did and how they felt. So, so just put that in the back of your mind. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Now we want to move to Acts chapter 1. So flip ahead in your Bibles if you've got them out. Come to uh, John and then keep going, and, and then you're going to be at Acts right after that. And we begin here in verse 1. It's page 1077 if you have the church Bible. Um, so Luke is writing this, and he says, In my former book, Theophilus, so he's writing this to his buddy Theophilus, the former book that he's referring to is what we call the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so he's referring back to that book. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
And so what he was referring to, or these two angels, they were talking about how he was going to come again a second time. And he's going to, just as he, he ascended into heaven through the clouds, he's going to come again through the clouds to earth. Now, um, Luke was just pretty much recapping what he had said in his gospel, the, the life account of Jesus. And um, now we pick up, we're starting to get a glimpse into what these disciples were doing and how they were feeling those 10 days as they waited for God, the Holy Spirit, to show up. We pick up again in verse 12. Said, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. And some of you guys, in just two weeks, we're going to be there. And we're going to be um, standing on the Mount of Olives, and you're going to see all this and take it in. And um, it's amazing. As you stand on the Mount of Olives, you can see Jerusalem right there across the Kidron Valley. And it says, um, a sa- it was a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now, let me be clear. This is not the same Judas who betrayed Jesus. It's not Judas Iscariot. This is Judas, son of James. So there were two guys that were part of the original 12 that were named Judas. Okay, so I don't want there to be any confusion. So they all joined together constantly in prayer. Notice what they're doing. Constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now notice this. Let's pause there. They returned to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem as they were instructed to by Jesus. Their, Their first act is an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. They were obedient. They went back to Jerusalem, back to that upper room where they had celebrated that Passover feast some 43 days prior, which we now refer to as the Last Supper. Um, they went back to that room. They were obedient. And one of the interesting things, it's not just um, the remaining 11 disciples. They're there, but it's also the women who had gone to the tomb that early morning to prepare the body. It says that they were there. It mentions um, Mary, the mother of Jesus specifically. But then it also mentions his brothers, his brothers, and, and this is what I find fascinating. If you know anything about their story, Jesus' brothers, they didn't believe he was who he said he was. That They didn't believe while he was alive that he was, in fact, God in the flesh. And, and I get that. Like, I, I don't think less of them for missing that. I mean, imagine if you grow up with one of your siblings and all of a sudden they, they hit 30 and they're like, you know what? I'm God. I am God in the flesh. Would you believe them? Probably not. You're like, no, you're not God. Like, I have lived with you. I've played with you. I mean, we have done all these things that you cannot be God. And he's like, I'm God. I am God in the flesh. And so they didn't believe him. But now they do. But now they do. After 40 days of spending time with him after the resurrection, now they believe. They believe. They've been transformed. Something powerful has happened to change their minds. They recognize that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. 
Now, let's pick up in, in verse 15. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And I think this is important. Sometimes we just think in terms of, that there were just 12 guys. There were a lot of disciples that were following Jesus around. 120 of them at this point were still there, gathered around. And it and said, Peter says, um, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. This is the one who betrayed him, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Isn't this great? Like, this is just some really graphic stuff here. This is, we need a movie of this. The, uh, and it goes on, it says, Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama. Akeldama. It, that is, field of blood. It's the field of blood. Then verse 24 said, Peter, It is written in the book of Psalms. It is written in the book of Psalms. Remember how Jesus came and, he unlocked the door of their understanding so that they could understand the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, and then what? The Psalms. Listen to this. He said, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Notice this transformation of Peter, how he is rising up as a leader. And now he's rising, and he's not got a sword in his hand this time. He's got the sword of the Spirit in his hand. That's the word of God. Notice how now, He's able to recall the Psalms and how they pointed to Judas and how Judas would betray Jesus and even explains about this field that he would buy and, and also talks about how he'd need to be replaced. All of this was foretold in the Psalms. All of a sudden, Peter remembered. He understood, and now he stood up. He stood up armed with the sword of the Spirit. I love how he's coming into his position of leadership. Um, then they go through the process of selecting Judas' replacement, beginning in verse 23. It says, So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Now, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over his, this apostolic ministry, which Judas left, to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, I don't have time to, to go through exactly this selection process. I don't know that it's that important. I think this is more descriptive of, of how they used to do things before they had the Holy Spirit living within them. Um, instead of prescriptive saying, I don't think what's laid out here is, that, okay, this is how you need to make selections. You're, you want to elect somebody? Well, you just kind of roll the dice, right? And just pray that God, you know, gives them sevens, you know. And if you get sevens, then you're the dude. You know, I don't think that's what uh, this is prescribing here because now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We just pray and say, Holy Spirit, show me. Who have you chosen? What do you want? And the Holy Spirit will reveal, reveal God's will to you. So, Enough of that. Um, 
So with that, as we've read all of this, I think we can learn some things from these early disciples about how we can wait for God to show up. What do we do while we wait for God to show up? And how might we feel as we wait for him to show up? Notice, what did they do? What did they do while they waited for God, the Holy Spirit, to show up? Well, the first thing we're told is they returned to Jerusalem. We see obedience, obedience. They were obedient to Jesus, even though he'd left and he had gone to heaven. I would imagine there would have been a great temptation to just go back to their homes. See, these guys, the majority aren't from Jerusalem. They were from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They probably hadn't seen their, their families in a long, long time. They may have longed to go back to them, but yet they were obedient. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. Wait until power comes to you from on high. They were obedient. In their waiting, they were obedient. Next, um, we see that they, they stayed together. There was community, community. So when they went back to Jerusalem, they went up to that upper room, and they stayed there. They stayed there. They were part of a community. And they didn't allow themselves to be separated. They didn't allow themselves to be divided or to become isolated. They valued, they sought out community. They did not allow themselves to be isolated. And then thirdly, they constantly went to the temple, worship. Constantly went to the temple, they worshiped. And I think this is profound here. So if you remember, these guys were afraid for their lives. They were behind closed doors. They were locked up for fear of the Jews. Forty days have gone by. They've spent this time with Jesus. Notice where they are worshiping now. It's not behind closed doors all by themselves. They are so bold. They are doing it in public. And they're going right square to the temple in the middle of the Jews. There's a new found boldness with these guys. Something's changed. Something has profoundly changed. The only thing that can point to the change is that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. So we see that. Then also, I think it's important to understand what true worship is. Um, Oftentimes we think of worship as just that part of of a service where we sing some songs. Right? Typically, that's what people refer to as, as worship. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is really um, our opportunity to, to give thanks and, and show our gratitude, our appreciation, to honor God, to, to extend our love to God, to praise God. That's what worship is. And, and that can look a number of different ways. It can look like singing. It, it can look like praying to God and just honoring him and glorifying him. It can look like us opening up the word of God and studying it. That's worship. Worship can be um, sharing communion with one another and celebrating Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uh, Worship can be giving of of our talents and our time and of our resources. So when we give to the church, that's an act of worship. Anything really that we do to honor God, to show our gratitude, can be an act of worship. So they worshiped God. We see that here clearly. So while the disciples waited for God the Holy Spirit to show up, that they they did it actively. They actively engaged in obedience. 
and community and worship. They actively engaged in obedience, community, and worship. I think there's something we can learn from that. And then how did they feel? How did they feel? Well, the first thing that, that Luke tells us is they felt joyful. They felt joyful. Um, Luke said, if you recall, that they used to be full of fear, and now they were full of joy. When they went back to Jerusalem, they were joyful. They went from being fearful to joyful. Something had changed within them. They were joyful. Um, they were also unified. They felt this, this unity with, with one another. Um, again, they didn't allow themselves to be divided. They, they continued to meet together. Um, they were hanging out in that upper room, just waiting on God to show up. Uh, again, they didn't isolate. They didn't divide. They stayed unified. They felt that unity of oneness that comes from community. And, and I love, so if you keep reading through Acts, we're not going to go all the way down here, but if you go to Acts chapter 2, and you look at verses 46 and 47, um, Luke gives us a glimpse into what life looked like among the disciples. And he, he said this, he said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Um, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so, um, again, we see how they're feeling. They're, they're, they have this great sense of um, unity, and they're unified. They went from, from being um, private worshipers of God to being very public worshipers of God. And then, uh, thirdly, they, I think they felt this eager anticipation, this eager anticipation. Imagine that, that God tells you that you are going to receive power from on high, power from on high, that he is in fact, Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit to live within you. The, the power that you have seen me exercise while I was with you, that same power is going to be in you, in you. And so imagine that. Don't you think you would be so excited? You would be eagerly anticipating the coming of that power upon you. And I believe that was part of what they were feeling in that moment. Um, they were longing for that power of his presence. While it may not have been the same as having him present with them, they were going to experience a new profound power of God's presence in them. And then I think there are a couple other feelings that they probably dealt with. I think one is uncertainty. Uncertainty. So you got 10 days where you're just waiting for God to, to show up. You're relying on this promise that Jesus has given you. And, you know, if you're like me, you're probably like, is he really going to show up? Like, is he really going to keep his promise? And then, then you remember what Jesus said? He said, you guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We're going to start in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go out to, to the area of Judea and then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wouldn't you be sitting there scratching your head going, how is that exactly going to happen? Like, how are we going to be the witness? How are we going to change the world? I don't get it. And Jesus didn't give us all the details. Usually he doesn't do that. He, he just says, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to wait on me. And so I think there was probably some uncertainty. Wouldn't you think that? So I think that's there. And then finally, I, I think there might have been some sadness. 
I mean, let's be honest. They spent three years with Jesus in their presence, and now he was gone. Don't you think they'd be sad? Even then, though he tried to console me, he said, it's all right. It's better that I leave you. Because when I leave you, I'm going to give you my spirit. And, and yet I'd be like, that's great, Jesus, but I'm going to miss you. You've been my shepherd. You've been the one guiding me and directing me. I think there was sadness. And then, you know, on top of all that, they're losing their shepherd. And he's saying, and your role's going to transition too. You're going to go from being sheep to shepherd yourself. And I, I might be a little sad about that too. Like sometimes it's, it's nicer to just be the sheep. You know, now you got to be the shepherd. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So these are just a myriad of some of the, the feelings that I think they experienced as they waited for God, the Holy Spirit, to show up. So how can we apply this to our lives? You know, because something profound happened in the lives of the disciples. If you look at them, the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these guys are full of fear. Even when Jesus appears to them as standing in their presence, they're still full of fear. They're full of doubt. They lack understanding. They are hiding. And now it's all changed. Everything is different. Everything is different. And now as they wait for God to show up, these are different people. And how can we be like them as we wait for God to show up? Because I think we're all waiting for God to show up to some degree or another. Um, I think our, our waiting on God to show up, it should not be passive. It should be active. It should not be passive. It should be active. I think too, too often um, we sit around and go, yeah, I'm just waiting for God to show up. Just waiting. And it's like you're twiddling your thumb. Like, so what are you doing while you're waiting? Nothing. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for God to show up. Well, I don't think that's what it's supposed to look like. I think we're supposed to be active in it. I think, first of all, we're supposed to be obedient obedient. We need to be obedient to what God has instructed us to do. So he's given us a lot of instructions for how to live our lives. So you need to read those and, and begin to follow those. And here's another thing that I think this, this is a danger, especially when you've been waiting for a long time for God to show up. There, there's a danger that uh, all of a sudden we take matters in our own hands. And all of a sudden, we, we feel like, you know, I don't know that I can trust God on this one. And, and we are disobedient. And, and we settle for less than God's best. We settle for less than God's best because we're just tired of waiting. And we feel like, well, maybe, maybe he didn't hear me. And maybe he doesn't care. Or maybe he's not even real. And so we're disobedient. We, we've got to maintain that spirit of obedience, even if we've been waiting a long time for God to show up. Secondly, we need community. We need community. Too often, too often I, I've seen this and, and experienced it myself where we tend to withdraw when we're waiting for God to show up. We, we tend to divide to become isolated from other folks. And we need to do exactly the opposite. We need to draw into community. If you don't have community, you need to find community here or, or somewhere else among um, fellow believers. You need that encouragement as you're waiting on God to show up. We need community. Thirdly, we need worship. 
Like, like that's a, a mark of us, is one who worships. And, and we need to be focused on God because too often we get focused on ourselves. That is never good, is it? You, you just, that, just as we were singing earlier, that's, I think that's where depression comes in and discouragement and all those dirty Ds, you know, all those terrible things, you know, come in. And it's because we're so focused here. We need to focus on worship, focus on God. Thank him, praise him, show him gratitude, honor him. That's how we need to wait for God to show up. And if we begin to, to wait like this, it, it begins to change the way we feel. I think we can be joyful in the midst of the waiting. I, I think we can be unified and, and we can be eager. We can eagerly anticipate how God is going to show up because he is faithful. He is true. When he says he's going to do something, he will do it. We can trust in that. So what are you waiting for? What is it that you're waiting for God to show up? Is it a situation? Is it a circumstance? What is it that you're, you're just longing for God to show up? I, I think we all have probably multiple issues, areas, situations where we're we're just waiting for, for God to show up. I, I know that's true in my own life, and it, it's been true um, over my life. And, and I've learned some things, and, and that's why I was eager to, to really spend some time here. I was so curious, what were the disciples doing those 10 days waiting on God to show up? Because they didn't have the benefit of Jesus in, in their presence, and they didn't have the benefit like we do of Jesus with us and in his spirit. So how do we wait um, I'll give you an example. So some of you guys have heard this a, a lot lately. I, it's been 35 years ago, I had this life-changing encounter with Jesus. And it was so profound. I was so excited. And then I started to grow in this relationship. I, I found community within the church. I experienced vibrant worship like we've experienced here today. And um, when you experience something like that, you want those that you care about most to experience it with you. And so I wanted my family to experience the same things that I was experiencing. And I longed for them to have that sense of community that I had found, to experience the type of worship that I had experienced. And the challenge for me was I lived in Virginia most of this time, and they lived in Delaware. And so um, as much as I would pray they just never found that kind of community that I had found. They never um, got to experience the worship that I was experiencing. And I would just keep praying for them and praying for them. And 30 plus years went by. And during the time, you honestly, you're, you're wondering, God, I mean, do you hear me? God, do you care? God, did I miss this? Like, I thought what, what I'm longing for, you long for as well, and yet you don't seem to be doing anything about it. 30-plus years go by, and then guess what happens? Two years ago, my dad sells his childhood home, and he moves to Roanoke. And since then, he has hardly missed a Sunday here at this church. Not only that, but he's in a life group on top of all of that. He has community now. He experienced worship. I never would have guessed that. Like, that was not even part of my, 
my dreams, and, and that happens. A year and a half ago, my brother and his wife, Lori, they sell their house in Delaware. They move to Daleville. They have hardly missed a Sunday of church since then. They're in a life group. They're in a small group. They're, they're serving in various ways in the church. I never could have expected that. I couldn't have dreamed of that. And, and it just reminds me that there are times when we're just wondering, God, are you going to show up? And sometimes we get impatient and we decide we're going to take matters in our own hands and that never goes well and we settle for less than his best. But if we will just trust him, if we will wait actively in obedience, if we will wait in the midst of community, if we will wait and worship him, we can trust him and that his timing is perfect. What are you waiting for? What is it that maybe you've been longing for God to show up in it and maybe you've just given up? Maybe you wonder, God, do you even care? Do you even exist? Maybe you've just taken matters in your own hands and settled for less than his best. What is it that you're longing for God to show up in? Trust him. Obey. Look for community and worship. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that um, while you don't always show up in our time frame, you don't always show up in the ways that we may desire you to show up, that when you show up, it, it's, it's always powerful and it's always best. And, and so I thank you for this reminder from the early disciples. I, I thank you for the reminders from our own lives. I, I bet you there's every person here that could probably look back and, and see how you showed up in a powerful way that um, surprised us. And we can probably look back over our lives and, and see when we have taken matters in our own hands because we grew impatient. Lord, I thank you that you're a, a God of forgiveness. And I thank you that you're a God of patience. Thank you for the patience that you've shown with me and, and each of us. Lord, I pray right now for those that are just dealing with a heavy burden where they're, they're just crying out for you to show up. I, I pray for a, a sense of your presence. I pray for that, that um, community to come alongside and reminding them you're not alone. Don't isolate yourself. Don't become separated from a body. Draw near to each other and draw near ultimately to God. May we embrace you in worship. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen.